0: Today we're talking about interoception. If you don't know what that means, you're not alone. You actually know more about it than you realize. Interoception is sometimes called the eighth sense, and it's the ability to sense the entire condition within your body. That includes things like hunger and thirst and pain, heart rate, the need to go to the bathroom. As our children are growing, their interoception is increasing, But most of us will experience some frustrations along the way. If you've ever had a kid get hangry or wait too long to go to the bathroom, then you've been challenged by interoceptive awareness. And that's what we're talking about today. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm having a conversation with Kelly Mahler. Kelly is an OT and she's an expert on something called interoception. I seem to have a hard time saying it and an even harder time spelling it. But interoception is the sense that allows us to feel our internal organs and the entire condition of the inner body. Before we get into today's episode, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Recess. Recess is a sparkling water that is infused with adaptogens for calm and clarity. The slogan on the side of the can says, an antidote for modern times, which I kind of love, but I also feel like it's a bold statement. I gave up alcohol a couple years ago and Recess has been my favorite alcohol replacement drink. I started out by drinking their hemp drinks which I love. But more recently, they came out with a version called Recess Mood. And actually, I like it even better. You can buy a case of cans, which I think tastes a little bit better, but you can also get it in the powder form. It comes in little sticks and you can just add it into water. The Recess Mood sticks have found their way into my after-school routine. When the kids get off the bus, I make myself one. And it definitely helps to take the edge off during that window of time that can feel very stressful when they're tired and hangry. And feeling all the feels in their interoceptive system, right? So if you want to try it out, go to takearecess.com and you can use the code simple20 to take 20% off your first order. That's takearecess.com and use the code simple20 to take 20% off your first order. All right, back to my chat today with Kelly. So I discovered Kelly's book, Interoception, The Eighth Sensory System, a couple months ago, and I'm fascinated by this on a professional level, but also on a parent level. Interoception is the source of so many challenges that I experience day in and day out, both within myself and within my kids. And it has a big impact on the parent-child relationship. And like I said in the intro, this is something we all experience it, but now we're putting a name to it so we can start to see it and recognize it and support it. I hope you enjoy this episode. You can find links to get in touch with Kelly in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 281. Hi Kelly. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's a real honor to join you.
0: Well, I found your book, uh, probably about a month or so ago, and I've been learning more about interoception from you. And I think it's something everybody needs to know about. Right. So I thought, because I feel like the word interoception can be a little intimidating. I thought maybe I'd start with a story. Does that sound okay?
1: Yeah, that sounds really fun.
0: So after the story, you can break down all the ways that interoception played a role in this story, because I think there's so many ways. So this is a really basic everyday story, which I think a lot of people are going to relate to, um, nothing particularly interesting or unique about it, but I think interoception is part interwoven into every part of our day. Okay. Here it is. So this weekend uh, we took a road trip and we were in the car probably about 14 hours we left the house at 7.00 AM and before we left the house, we had breakfast. We went to the bathroom and we got in our car. So we recently got a new car and there is a very strict, no eating in the car rule. Um, Kelly, do you allow your kids to eat in the car?
1: I do. Um, but my husband does not. And he, <laughs> that <laughs> sounds
0: so familiar.
1: That, that my kids <laughs> love when you call my car, the food truck because of all the food on the floor. <laughs>
0: Okay. So that's how it was, especially during COVID things got really dark for a while with eating in the car because we weren't going into restaurants, right? Yep. We we got this new car and my husband has decided no eating in the car. And I'm like, all right, we're going to try this. Like this is going to be a big change, but we're going to try it. So we've had it for a month now and we have not eaten in the car. So we're going on this road trip and I'm like, well, this is going to be, this is going to be hard. So 7am, we headed off on the road trip, not eating in the car, they're, they spent about three hours watching videos on their iPads. We had a planned stop at about 10 30. We were going to charge the car, go to the bathroom and eat brunch. So with the chargers, we're finding out it's kind of a pain in the butt to take a road trip in an electric car, um, because you don't have control over where you stop. So the charger was at kind of in this isolated area. We were in the middle of Pennsylvania, which is close to where you live, right? Yep. I'm in so- Hershey. <laughs> probably right down the road from your house. Yeah. Uh, we're in the middle of Pennsylvania and we're, we pulled over to go to the charger and it's in kind of like a big field and there's a Perkins, which is a diner for anyone that's not familiar. So we didn't have a choice. So we were going to Perkins to go to the bathroom and eat brunch. That was going to be our stop. Cause we had to park there for 30 minutes to charge the car. So we haven't been to a lot of restaurants with the kids since COVID eating inside at least. So I think that I was a little bit hesitant, but again, I didn't have a choice because this was our only place. And so we went in, it was Saturday at brunch. So it was really, really crowded and literally no one was wearing a mask. And in New York, everyone wears masks all the time. So this was new and a little bit uncomfortable being in this really crowded restaurant with no one masked and so here we are in the middle of the brunch rush at Perkins and the kids are squirmy and i'm attributing this to the fact that they haven't eaten anything no snacks in the car um and they'd been on tech for 3 hours and so they're irritable and squirmy and i'm like okay we put our name in we're going straight to the bathroom because we have to wait 20 minutes for the table anyways so I, I left out the part that my kids did not want to get out of the car. And they said they were not hungry and they did not have to go to the bathroom, which you know what that means? Like air quotes, they did not have to go to the bathroom. You know that they had to go. <laughs> so we get into the bathroom and it's like this stare down basically. And like, like you, you need to go to the bathroom. And they're both like, we do not have to go to the bathroom. Like I don't have to go to the bathroom. I don't have to go to the bathroom. Like, no, you do need to go to the bathroom. Like we are, not leaving this bathroom until you pee, because you have to go to the bathroom. This is our only stop to go to the bathroom that we stood there for like five minutes and they're just like, "Nope, don't get to go. And then finally they're like, okay, fine. We'll go. And they went and it was like what I call an Austin powers. pee. do you remember that movie? Yes. I love <laughs> Just like <laughs> peas forever. And I'm like, you totally had to go to the bathroom. What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> so we go to we, the bathroom trip is over. Um, and we sit down at the table. They're not hungry. They don't want to eat but yet they haven't eaten in like four hours. So I know they're hungry. Then they eat. So now they've peed and they've eaten. And then now they're human again. (laughs) And now like I have my kids back and we pack up, we finish our brunch and we get back in the car. And we, it's like new people. We're all new people afterwards. Um, So that was kind of a long story, but and not a very, like I said, not a very important story, but it's, I feel like interoception all over the place where you kind of like lighting up there, Kelly. (laughs)
1: Oh yeah. I was seeing interception all through your story.
0: Right. So tell me, where do you, where do you see it? How does it come into play in our lives?
1: Well, interoception's um, the biggest role it's a sense in our body, the biggest job it has is to help us to notice how our body's feeling. And just like in your story, like the way our body feels tells us, you know, what we need to do next. So like noticing the feeling of the full bladder, right. With your kids and, Um, helping them to really tune into that might have given them a little bit more clues to the possibility of needing to use the toilet or, um, you know, Uh, noticing the feelings of hunger we notice many of us notice like a growly feeling in our stomach or maybe we just feel sluggish and we feel those feelings because of interoception also the discomfort you are feeling being you know around a very full restaurant with people with no masks it's a really uncomfortable feeling you feel those feels because of interoception too so Um, you know, interoception just helps us to, to notice the way our body feels, which gives us clues to our emotional experience. Um, so lots of interoception things going on there with needing to pee and being hungry and feeling uncomfortable emotionally all due in part to interoception.
0: Yeah. And I just, I feel like my, my mood and my tension just I'm because, I mean, I think I was probably a little hungry and I was I was anxious and it played into the way that I was interacting with my kids too, right?
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: So interoception is something that we all experience. I think many of us just not, have never had a name for it.
1: Yeah. So if you've ever felt a feel in your body, like a sensation, like tight muscles or hot skin or a racing heart, those are all you're feeling those feelings because of this sense called interoception.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this topic and why you decided to specialize in it.
1: Yeah, I'm an occupational therapist and I serve mostly neuro- neurodivergent clients. And for many of them, um, it, I was starting to notice, like they have a really hard time regulating their own emotions, understanding their own emotions. And I thought like, there has to be something more to like what's going on here. And I read an article by a brilliant scientist about this thing called introception. It's not a very sexy word, like it kind of shuts people down, right? But it's so important to our lives. And um, it's, you know, how we feel our feels. It's our it, it, interception provides, like I said, clues to our emotions. And we live in a society where we don't put a lot of emphasis on listening to the feelings in our body. We tend to push through life, we tend to ignore what our body is telling us, right? And then, you know, we end up with a chronic health issue or whatever it is. So we're, we're a society that is not tuning into our interceptive signals. Um, and so, and that then leads to us maybe not being a hundred percent connected to our emotions or really, you know, identifying how we're feeling in each moment because we kind of tend to just be pushing through life and not taking the time to notice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So much of that resonates with me. And I think that's an interesting piece that you touched on with illness that so many people experience illness and feelings in their body that they know aren't quite right, but then they don't do anything about it. Or maybe they don't even notice it. What do you find as far as illness and how those things pop up?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's really cool studies. I won't bore you with the science, but that people that are listening to their bodies, they're noticing their sensations they're taking that time to tune in, um, seek out medical care in more timely ways. Then that has like, um, a really big effect. Like they seek out people that are um, having a heart attack that people that have higher levels of interceptive awareness, which just means that you're noticing and understanding your body signals. They seek out care and they have better health outcomes because they're getting timely care. So, I mean, interception is important to our health and 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 really taking that next step to care for our body's needs because um, our, our body is so wise and it's sending us so many signals. But like I said, for whatever reason, it's because we're leading a busy life. Or maybe we know that like neurodivergent people, they really struggle with Noticing and understanding all that's happening inside of them. Um, so that can lead to us not taking care of our bodies in the way that it needs.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about child development in terms of interoception, um, both neurotypical and neurodivergent. And explain to us the difference between neurotypical and neurodivergent. Like
1: okay. Uh well, neurodivergent neurotypical or neuromajority um, defined by different people, different ways, but basically um, neurodivergent just means that you, your thinking style, your neurology is straying from what some people consider the norm. Um, And the neuromajority are people that tend to fit like mold, I guess their neurology fits more of a typical mold. And I don't like to use the word typical because what is typical really? Right. I think, I think that the differences between all of us are so beautiful. Um, but I don't want to also discount that a lot of neurodivergent people, they do also have a lot of barriers that they have to overcome. Right. Um, so
0: a lot of your neurodivergent clientele, are they on the autism spectrum, ADHD? What yeah. else do you see a lot of
1: So uh, autism, ADHD, anxiety disorders, um, like OCD, um, panic attacks. Um, I personally don't support people that have eating disorders, but they sometimes people would consider them to be um, neurodivergent in some ways. Um, So it really is a big umbrella for just having differences in experiencing the world. Um, kids with that have sensory processing disorder also fit into that category. Um, and so what we know about the development of interoception, we know that most infants are born into this world, noticing the way their body feels. Like if you just think about it, like if with your own child born into this world, most likely noticing discomfort in their body and what do they do when they're uncomfortable? They cry right? And that alerts the caregiver that something is off within the child's body. Like something is uncomfortable and that caregiver steps in and, takes care of your child's needs. Um, so at that point in time, the infant might not know what that feeling in their body means. Like they might not know that, Oh, this means I'm hungry or, Oh, this means I am cold or, Oh, this means I need a social cuddle. Um, but the, the, through all of that interaction with the caregiver, that caregivers providing a lot of valuable information about that infant, they start to learn the infant starts to learn like, Oh, this feeling in my body, means I'm hungry. And when my caregiver feeds me, that discomfort fades away. So they start to learn as they grow about the feelings in their body and what things promote comfort for them. Um, and so that basically is pretty much all we understand about the development dev- development of interoception. Um, it's a really new area of science. We have a lot to learn. We're not a hundred percent sure what's happening with the neurodivergent interoception experience. We know that a, a lot, if not mostly all neurodivergent people experience differences in interception. Um, so
0: does that usually look like an under responsive interoception system or an over responsive interoception system?
1: Yeah, it's different for everyone. We all have different levels of how aware we are of our internal signals or interceptive signals. And for some people they can be at the extreme ends of that that, that spectrum of awareness. And for some people, like you said, they can be overly aware and they feel so many different sensations happening on the inside of their body at once. It's like really hard to make sense of what should I pay attention to? What does it mean? Um, or you could be on the other end of the extreme and, um, be, under aware of how your body is feeling. So you might miss important signals like that growling stomach or that full bladder and say, I'm not hungry, or I don't have to go to the bathroom right now. Um, or for some of those people, like they only notice really intense feelings. So they don't notice that they have to pee until they have to pee. And it's an emergency, or they don't notice that they're getting upset until they're in a full meltdown. So they're really missing those subtle signals that a lot of us um, notice as like, clues that uh oh, like something's starting to be imbalanced in my body. Uh, and that's the ideal window to, to take care of our body, not wait till it gets to an extreme point. Um, so we're not sure how people are getting and arriving at these extreme ends, like where they're overfeeling or underfeeling their internal sensations. It's, we know that it is their experience, but we don't know why it's happening.
0: Right. I think about days where I just have a whole lot to do and I'm overwhelmed. Um, especially like if I'm sitting at my desk doing work that some days I'll forget to eat. Is that kind of, I mean, I'm I'm trying to kind of understand this from a neurotypical point of view, like what it actually feels like to have, in your interocep- interoception system it's hard to say mm-hmm. interoception interoception system not functioning properly is that kind of like your your maybe your brain is so overwhelmed somewhere else that you're not able to tune into some of these important bodily functions That is
1: one of the theories out there for some people that their attention is pulled outside of their body. So whether that's because you're focused on a work task, or maybe you're focused on getting your kids routine, your kids ready for school and through their morning routines, or, um, or if it's just maybe that you are sensory sensitive to the outer world, like maybe you, you know, loud noises hurt your ears or so just out of protection, you're, your, your attention is to the outer world, just scanning, waiting for that next threat to your nervous system. So yeah, it's tends to be um, for a lot of people, it, their attention is pulled outside of their body. And so we need to think about how can we nurture that attention to the inside um, in safe and, and um, successful ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it makes so much sense. And I guess it's just sort of like the, the how do you do it? Right. And that's, that's what you do, right. Is you teach adults and children about how to become more aware of their internal body states.
1: Yep. That's exactly what my work is all about as an occupational therapist, Um, but you don't have to be an occupational therapist to use some of our tips that are um, aimed at nurturing our own interceptive awareness, as well as our children.
0: Why do parents need to be improving their own interoception awareness, interoceptive awareness? I'm going to learn how to say this.
1: <laughs> I, I think that we just need to do away with the term personally. It's yeah, just, it's not ideal. Right. Uh, <laughs> Well, um, because what research tells us um, is that if we are clearly aware of how we are feeling in the moment, we can be better attuned and in tune to the other people around us and how they're feeling. Um, If you're so busy trying to work out how you're feeling in the moment, it leaves very little resources left to be that compassionate, calm parent that many of us want to try to be. Um, So just like back to your story, you know, you were feeling so uncomfortable going into that restaurant, you know, fill a a full restaurant, no masks. So you were probably feeling very uncomfortable and becoming more aware of that, doing something to help, you know, ourselves to um, take care of our own body needs then helps us to be better attuned and a better support system for our children.
0: Yes. Yes and i think that many of us as parents i mean i uh, gen, i would say that i have i've always been pretty in control of my emotions aside from maybe when i was a teenager um but parenting i think pushes all of us to our limits and how do we become aware of these internal states in order to keep better control so that we don't lose it and we don't start to yell and that emotional regulation is a piece of this, right?
1: Yeah, Interception is the foundation of emotion regulation. Like you have to be clearly aware of how you feel in order to know what to do to take care of your emotions.
0: Yeah, and I know when I tend to feel overwhelmed and like kind of my my fuse is getting shorter and shorter, I clench my teeth. That's kind of my like thing. I clench my teeth and my shoulders get higher and higher, like closer to my ears. <laughs> um, but I don't always notice when I'm clenching my teeth and when my shoulders are getting higher. Um, when you're working with parents, what are some tips that you could say for us to start tuning into our own internal awareness when we are feeling triggered by our kids?
1: Yeah. I mean, it is a definite shift in mindset and it's not easy. So I'm just going to admit that right now, but it is like, you're saying, taking the time to just a few seconds, just to notice how your body is feeling. Um, There's formal ways you can practice that like through um, different forms of body mindfulness. So you could do like, you can Google um, body scan scripts. And there are like formal scripts that read and direct you through paying attention sequentially um, to different parts of your body and tuning in and noticing how they're feeling. Um, so if you want to practice that, probably out of the stressful situation, yeah. with the child. is that
0: like progressive relaxation?
1: Uh well, that could also be a form of building interceptive awareness because you're paying attention to how your muscles are feeling, you're tightening them, you're loosening them. So it's really channeling your attention to your body. So there's body scan scripts, there's a pr- progressive muscle relaxation. Um, but if you don't have the time to do that, that's okay too. Like even just like when I'm driving the car um, and I'll just take a minute to like, just scan from the top of my body down to my toes and just check in, notice how my body is feeling, getting that practice. So then when we're in the moment and we're faced with a stressful situation with our kids, that muscle has been worked out, that interception muscle, if you will, that we are, um, we are better able to notice in those stressful moments how our body's feeling. Uh, most of our work, we, we're doing it in calm and we're practicing in calm and regulated moments first. Like we can't to be able to show up in, like in a stressful moment because that's right. not going to be successful.
0: And there's no shame in the fact that if you are escalated and things explode, like you get to try again. <laughs> and I think that's so important for parents is that like our kids are so forgiving. Um, when talking about progressive muscle relaxation, I have a little story actually that I think gives me a lot of hope. Um, so when I was nine years old, I used to do this summer program for gifted students. And every summer we got to pick our different classes that we wanted to do. And one class that was required, it was like summer school. One class that was required was called fast lane. And it was all focused on, you know, assuming that the kids in this program are probably going to be in the fast lane of some sort, how to cope. And we learned progressive muscle relaxation in that program when I was nine. And I still use that same technique that I learned when I was nine today, my whole life. I've used it.
1: That's incredible. It can be a very powerful method for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And I remember being nine years old, doing it being like, wow. This feels amazing and how I literally could feel every single part of my body. And sometimes I do a lot of mindfulness stuff with my kids. And sometimes I feel like this isn't making a difference. This isn't helping. And then I remind myself like, Hey, you learned it when you were nine and it actually has helped. And, um, I don't know. So that's hard. I think what, I think we've all tried many, many of us have tried to implement mindfulness practices and, and techniques like this, but it's hard. To be consistent, and I think it's hard to notice when something's helping. How do you, how do we find the right techniques or things that are helping us that will help us?
1: Um, Well, my work is all about trying to embed strategies in your daily routine, so you don't have to stop and do something diff- like separate and or start something new. Like, you know, I have also tried to implement mindfulness with my kids, and I've met, I've been met with some resistance. If right. I'm gonna, <laughs> if I'm going to admit it, <laughs> but I'm like, but your mom, this is what I do for a right. living. So how do we find just everyday opportunities? That's like what we're we're trying to do. We're adapting body mindfulness to make it accessible for real families and real parents. So just finding opportunities in the day to, to build your child's curiosity, like guide their attention to like um, we, we chunk our work into one body part at a time. So helping them notice one body part in that moment makes it a lot easier. So like when they're washing their hands, just saying, look, how do your hands feel when, you know, you're washing them or um, maybe you're helping them tune into how their heart is feeling. And like, how does your heart feel when you're running around on the at the park or um, just little moments, just nurturing that curiosity just through our language and just asking them questions and not putting our experience on them. Like that's really important. Like we want to nurture their own interception journey. We don't wanna be telling them, this is the biggest mistake I see people making is labeling emotions and feelings. Uh, I think that we need to nurture curiosity and help our kids discover how they are feeling in that moment.
0: Right. Um, So So you mean like when I was in the bathroom saying, they were saying, I don't have to pee. I said, you do have to pee. (laughs) That's what you're talking about. Right. Don't (laughs) do that. And I have to say, I am so guilty of getting power (laughs) struggles with my kids. What do you do? Like, I just, when you like, and that's the other thing, like how as a parent, like when you, you, you think, you know, right. Like you think, you know, your kid is hungry. You think, you know, your kid has to pee. And I think a lot of times you're probably right. But like, how do you balance that between you don't want to tell them their feelings? Like, what do you, what do we tell me what to do, please?
1: <laughs> well, I'm not, I can't claim to have all the answers. here. Okay. I'm, I'm a struggling parent myself, Okay. <laughs> but just trying to shift the narrative just a little bit to using more questions. Like how does your body feel? Or can you tell me like, I mean, it depends on how um, you know far you are in the work, but you could just be like, "Tell me how your bladder is feeling," or you know, "I notice it's been a long time since you used the toilet. Can you check in and notice how your body is feeling?" So just instead of labeling it, nurturing their curiosity about how their body is feeling in that moment. Um, also talking about the fact, like, "How do you think your bladder is going to feel in another hour or two from now when we don't have a toilet?" Like you know, just kind of helping them to think through that in the moment instead of just saying, you know, you, I know you need to pee. So nurturing that curiosity. But again, okay. no judgment here because I am not a perfect parent.
0: <laughs> right, and then maybe sometimes like when you're on a road trip, things like that, like maybe you do have more of a, you take more of a role in saying this is the toilet and we are not gonna see another one for two hours, so we gotta do our thing now. Um, but then maybe general everyday life, trying to empower them to feel those feelings.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't take enough time to tell them why we're telling them to do the things that we're doing, you know, so just giving them even more rationale. Like I really need you to try to use the bathroom right now because we're not going to have access to a toilet for another two hours, you know, so really explaining that. But again, when we're in the moment, do we, do we think that way? (laughs) Not Mm -hmm. usually. I mean, at least for me, I don't. So I, am working on really being more, um, present, checking in with my body and, and using the advice, I know that, that works.
0: Yeah. And maybe even it's like telling myself, if I want my kids to have better interoceptive control, I need to model it first. It's got to start with me, which means me being calm and curious in this, even if it's really hard for me right now and encouraging them to be calm and curious about noticing those internal states. Because when they're heightened, like they're not going to notice that stuff, right?
1: No, that's why we're nurturing those everyday opportunities when your child is regulated, when they're calm, like during the hand washing or, you know, playing with, play-doh or whatever it is they're doing, just nurturing their curiosity about how their body is feeling. And I love your point about being a model for them. Um, parent, we, we, um, are encouraging caregivers to talk out loud about the way their body is feeling in many moments too, to normalize that, to like really model that it's important to listen to your body. Those signals are important and all the signals are equal. Like there's no such thing as like, Oh, it drives me crazy that we talk about like, um, bad emotions and good emotions. Like all, all emotions are important. They're giving us valuable information about the world around us and inside of us. And body signals are the same. Like even the uncomfortable feelings are giving us important information about what our body needs.
0: Yeah. And speaking especially about hunger, I think that's something I, that is so complicated in the world that we're living in um, because we do feed kids so many snacks to ward off hunger. But hunger is a really important. Q, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we feed them snacks when they're young, but then they go to school and they are like stuck eating when the school tells them their their lunchtime is like my my daughter, like she has to go six hours from breakfast to lunch and she is starving at lunchtime. And that school system is setting up a situation where they're forcing her to ignore the way her body feels, right? She's dependent on someone else telling her when she can eat. And so that like I think is is damaging to. Um, to nurturing kids, interceptive awareness, we're teaching them over and over again, to ignore what it is. Your body is telling you that you need,
0: right. But then there's this fine balance that if they are snacking whenever they want, are they really tuning into their hunger or are they just snacking? Cause snacking is fun and tasty.
1: Well, that's again, where we can be a great model for our kids and talking out loud about like eating, uh, when we're hungry and also nurturing that curiosity in our child, like, are you really hungry? Or maybe you're, maybe you're feeling something else and let's, let's discover that together.
0: You mean, that means I have to get control of my own snacking first, right? (laughs) That
1: might be what it it means.
0: right? So (laughs) I remember when my son was probably four, um, I, caught him one day, he had pulled his learning tower to the fridge and had both fridge doors open and was standing in front of the fridge at the learning and just like, kind of like touching everything, like looking through it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're standing there with the door open all the, I mean, I don't know how much cold air had gotten out of the fridge, you know, like typical shut the fridge door parenting response. Um, and I was, I was like irritated and like, no, like you don't just stand in front of the fridge with the door open. Um, and then afterwards I reflected and I was like, I do that all the time. I just don't have to get a tower, a learning tower to do it. Right. I'm always standing in front of the fridge with the doors open, but it's usually only for like two seconds. Cause I open and close them. His was like this major ordeal because he had to open the doors, go get the learning tower, pull the learning tower over, get up to the fridge. So the door is open for like five minutes, but I do it all the time. And like, how often do we as parents do things that we tell our kids not to do? Right.
1: Yeah. I think a lot, <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> especially with snacking. I think that is a big a big thing for adults and kids is that, um, we do fear hunger. And I mean, I have a kid, actually both my kids get pretty hangry. One gets especially hangry and, um, that when you have kids that get really hangry, how do you, what are some cues or scripts to use to get them to cue into their hunger before it's too late?
1: Well, I would watch for patterns in your children and like kind of Start noticing like when, how long can they go until they start to hit that point of hanger. And then you want to try to work in the moments before um, the hanger. So really helping them to start tuning in, noticing how their bodies are feeling, taking some calm moments um, to check in and encourage them to notice how their body's feeling and maybe helping them link that. Like, what do you think that means for you? Like, could it mean that you're hungry? Maybe, I don't know. What do you think? You know, just kind of nurturing that curiosity, but you wanna to try to work in those moments before the hanger strikes.
0: Right in the call moments, which we often forget, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> like it, when, when things are heated, that's when all of this comes to light, right? I think after listening to this episode, people will start to see it, right? They'll see those interoception challenges coming to light but it takes more practice as a parent to really be able to see it in advance to step in when we need to step in. Yes. Which is hard, right? (laughs) Like even you being an expert, is it still hard for you? Yes.
1: I mean, life is busy, right? And so you just like start getting wrapped up and going through the motions and it has to, um, it takes a lot of shift. Like I said, a shift in mindset and being more intentional.
0: Yeah. So would you say that most kids, as they're growing and developing that interception is just naturally developing in all kids, whether neurotypical or neurodivergent.
1: Yeah, it's definitely developing. And I think there's a lot more that we can do as parents to ensure that that interception growth is really solid. We know that, um, interceptive awareness, um, there's extremes like being feeling um, body signals that are too big or too small, like we were talking about, we know that that, that those IA extremes are, are connected to every single mental health condition that there is. So interception is important for your children. If you want to um, possibly set them up to nurture that, positive mental health. They need to be noticing their signals and they need to understand what those signals mean for them. And, and that, that gives them information about how to care for their, their body and their emotional needs. Um, and I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I just hope for happy kids, like happy kids that grow up to happy adults. And so that interception piece is a really big factor.
0: How does interoception connect with physical exercise and the sensations we feel around exercise?
1: Oh, during exercise is a great time to tune in and notice how your body is feeling pretty much anything that you're doing that evokes stronger feelings tends to be a great time to tune in and notice how your body is feeling. Cause it can be a little bit easier than if you're just kind of like sitting in a chair and not much, like there's not many strong feelings probably happening. So doing active things like exercise, yoga, like all of those uh, different um, active pursuits, just running around the park with your kids, evokes lots of strong sensations that help to capture our attention and notice and check in how, with how our body's feeling.
0: Yeah. So I have my son plays baseball and runs around and all the time and is fine, but he always complains about going on walks and he's like, his legs are tired, right? I'm sure you've probably heard that before. And so we live in a very hilly town. So going on a walk at our house is it's, I mean, you're going up Hills, your heart does start to pound. And I've always just been like, how is it that you run around all day at baseball, but like, you can't take a walk. Like you are too tired to take a walk. Do you think it's something about like being more tuned into those feelings on a walk, because it's a calmer moment. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that?
1: I mean, from an interception standpoint, that would make a lot of sense. Like at baseball, he has a mission. Like he is focused on the game, on doing his job, not necessarily how his body is feeling. Um, So then when you're on a walk, it's a little bit more mindful and, you know, he is tuning in and noticing the way that his body feels probably because he doesn't have all those external factors distracting him.
0: Yeah, so in that case, talking about you know the heart rate and perspiration, anything like that, do you think that would be helpful?
1: Absolutely, and just praising like your him for like that's incredible that you're even you're noticing that, and thank you for sharing how your body's feeling with me, and uh, why do you think that you're noticing your sweat, or why do you think your muscles are in your legs are feeling that way? Like just using that as a interception learning moment uh, could be really cool.
0: Do you think it can be scary for some kids to feel their heart pounding?
1: Yes, that's a great question. Um, yes. And so a lot of times, um, kids can feel feel feelings inside their body and, and need reassurance. Like that's an incredible thing that you're noticing that that's going to be, that's a really helpful clue to your emotions. And, um, so just providing reassurance that noticing sensations is an amazing thing. Uh, it's a really hard hard thing to do, but it's awesome that you're noticing that. And, um, and sometimes they need even more reassurance. Like the fact that your heart is racing, that's a normal thing
0: running around right now. Yeah. And it makes your heart so healthy when it pounds like that. And then it calms down and then it pounds again. And yeah. Right. Normalizing that.
1: Yep. Normalizing it.
0: Great. I love that. So Kelly, if anyone listening has kids or if they themselves want more support around interoception, what kind of resources do you have for them?
1: Uh, We have lots of free resources on my website. Uh, So we have lots of videos and blogs. So if you want to learn more about the topic, we have um, lots of free stuff on my website at um, kelly-mahler.com. And then we also, if you learn more and you want to take a deeper dive into the work, we also have some paid resources on there. Um, We have the interception curriculum, which is one of our most popular resources. And that's like a a framework for developing and nurturing interceptive awareness.
0: Can you spell out your website for us?
1: Sure. Um, it's Kelly K E L L Y dash Mahler, M a H L E R.com.
0: Great. And I'll put that in the show notes too. Super helpful. What about, do you have resources for professionals like OTs, any other OTs who maybe don't have training in interoception?
1: Yeah, we have lots of on-demand courses and we host a live course every month and they're geared towards, uh, we have professionals like OTs and speech therapists and mental health providers, but we also have lots of caregivers tuning in, um, depending on the topic that we're covering.
0: Okay. Would you say that all OTs are trained in interoception or is this kind of something they need to post specialize in and learn more about after grad school?
1: Um, We're getting better at implementing interception into OT schools and classwork, but not all OT programs have it embedded yet. Um, And some that do, they might touch on it for like a one hour lecture if they're lucky. So it is definitely something that um, people are getting trained in um, after graduation. And, you know, OTs are really primed to be the leaders in this work, but it also fits so nicely into many other professional interests, like mental health providers. And, um, like I said, speech therapists, physical therapists, um, teachers, we have tons of educators that join us. Oh, that's Um, great. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So Um, if anyone has a kid who is seeing a professional or who has a teacher that might benefit, we could. They could send your information their way too, because I guess you can't just presume just because someone is trained as an OT or another professional that they know about interoception.
1: Yeah. They many times they do not know about interception. So so yes, sending them to the website could be a really great place to, um, get them started. Uh, a lot of caregivers are learning about interception. They, um, might see signs that their child might be struggling in this area and they want support. And then they try to find a support system and it's really, it can be really challenging because there's not a lot of people trained, but we are working hard and and to, to change that.
0: Good. I love that. Well, thank you
1: so much, Kelly. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun today.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode and you feel like you learned something that you want to share, you can take a screenshot of yourself listening to it and share it to your Instagram stories. Make sure that you tag me so I can share it too. Another easy way to share is with the website simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 281. That's also where you will find the show notes to get in touch with Kelly. As always, I'm glad to have you here and I will talk with you soon.